Welcome to Proudly ADHD at work and in business. I am your host, Coach Kathy Rashidian, and I help professionals like you understand the science behind your unique brain so you can unlock that inner genius. Ready to transform your ADHD into your best asset? Keep listening. Seeing how the ADHD brain works differently from the neurotypical brain helps us understand, accept, and compensate for our differences. This is a quote from my guest today, Dr. Tamara Rosier. I am so pleased to have her on the show where we will discuss her new book, Your Brain's Not Broken. Dr. Tamara is the founder of the ADHD Center in West Michigan. She shares how those with ADHD can create new thinking habits, identify unhelpful thoughts and emotional patterns, and apply strategies to change them. Let me tell you a little bit about her before we go any further. I had a blast doing this interview with her, so I want to do justice to the introduction. As the founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan, she and her staff work with individuals with ADHD and their families to learn strategies and develop new skills to live effectively with ADHD. Dr. Rosie is also the president of the ADHD Coaches Organization. She is a popular conference keynote speaker and is a frequent guest on podcasts such as this one and has published numerous articles about living with ADHD. And she currently lives in West Michigan. Without any further ado, let's get into the conversation about the book, Your Brain's Not Broken by Dr. Tamara Rosier. Thank you so much for spending this hour with me. Welcome. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Congratulations on your book. Thanks. Let's get into it. There, there, there are various chapters in this book, you guys, that, that I highly recommend listening to, reading. The one that stood out for me, and we're going to go kind of bite size on some of these chapters. I've picked out some of the highlights that I want to bring to your attention and have a conversation around it. One is the topic of... Well, the chapter is called Following the Rabbit. And the title that I'm looking at, it says Divergent Thinking in the Workplace. I want you to talk about that, please. What what does that mean? Why was it important to talk about it? So, you know, we use rabbit holes. You you hear people talk about rabbit holes. Oh, oh, I popped out a rabbit hole. Except when you're ADHD, we live down those rabbit holes. And if you know anything about rabbit holes, I actually looked this up to understand more about rabbit holes. They're underground chambers that are often connected. And so we pop down a rabbit hole and we go in another chamber and we're Alice in Wonderland and we don't come out of rabbit holes easily. And the problem is when we're popping down the rabbit hole, it's more fun than reality. So we are a lot like Alice in Wonderland because she doesn't want to be stuck on the farm. She wants to, you know, meet magical rabbits and other like the queen of hearts. So. So it's much more engaging for us. And so I call that divergent thinking. And that's actually what it's called in the literature. And those of us with ADHD are incredibly great at it. And really, if we were just allowed to live in divergent thinking mode, we'd be great. It's just the real world keeps beckoning us to work on the convergent. And, you know, my last client, um, math major at University of Michigan. 
smart guy and, you know, math major. How smart is he, right? He's crazy, crazy smart. But those convergent tasks of scheduling things, remembering to look at his email, all those little dumb convergent tasks. And so I'll just define convergent a second. Convergent is when we bring um, logic, internal logic, linear logic from A to B to C to D. That's convergent. It's, it's very step oriented. Divergent thinking is when you take one idea and you blow it up into a trillion pieces. That's the, that's the work we like to do. Often people call divergent thinking creative, but it's more than creative. It's actually following different strands of a thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I heard you talk about this and in your book and, it, and in, at the recent chat conference, I was like, ooh, great, great way of, you know, because it, I used to say it's creative thinking, but I love this, this, this version that I know now, and I'm going to be quoting you a lot about that. In the book, there's this sentence you talk about, and I just want to read it for a second. The downside of divergent thinkers in the workplace is that they often annoy those with whom they work. Dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that for a second? Why, why was it important for you to bring this up? Yeah, because I think we should know when we're annoying people. So here, here's the gift of divergent thinking is that we can look like freaking geniuses. We can be in a meeting and hearing people talk about a problem. And then we say things like, well, couldn't we just do this? And people look at us like, yes, that's a genius idea. And we leave the meeting feeling pretty good. The problem is in that situation, the group was looking for a solution. And our little divergent braids put something together. And it was kind of this unknown solution. But we're in a meeting. And if the group wants to move forward, they're in their convergent A, B, C. Let's just move through this plan. And if we're in here going, yeah, but what about X? You know, X is a great letter. Have we thought about X, guys? And, And let's go to a different alphabet. Let's look at the Hebrew alphabet. And so we're annoying people when we actually keep bringing up our divergent thinking ideas. You know, we could do this and guess what? We get super excited while we do it too. So we're ramping up our energy and the neurotypicals in the room who sometimes can appreciate our divergent thinking are just thinking to themselves or crying out loud, shut up. Mm -hmm. I I work with R.A. Tuckman, I think. That man is the most patient man on earth because we will be on a conference call for the International Conference on ADHD. And a lot of us have ADHD on that call and we're all piping up with, what about this? What about this? Or, or we get lost in problem finding. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Ari is just stable, steady. He chose to work with this population for some reason. And he's like, well, you know, those are some good ideas, but I think we have to move on to here now. And so he's the best neurotypical I've ever seen direct that. But I think for those of us with ADHD, we need to be really self-aware of when we're in divergent and when we're in convergent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that that makes sense. And, and I, I just get flashbacks of the meetings where I walked out so frustrated So talk about a trigger point to emotional dysregulation. Is this like, well, 
they don't like my ideas. Right. I'm not accepted and yeah. all of this stuff. Right. And it, and, and, and then we're making shit up, but then it's catastrophization and, and going, oh I love you so much because that's what we do. We'll, yeah. we'll make shit up to fill in the gaps. And because we tend to be more egocentric in those moments, it's all about how they don't understand me. They don't respect me. They don't like me. Why am I always the outsider? Yeah. And it really, it's about divergent thinking. There's a time and place for divergent thinking. And then there's a place for convergent thinking. And we just have to know which is which. Exactly. And I, what, one thing I do with, with my clients, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're approaching it with them, is I, I say influence with integrity. So, so integrity for yourself and integrity for them and honoring both sides of what's in it for them first, right? And then what's in it for me and then the time and a place. And the quicker we get to that point, then we can manage our emotions much better and actually influence at the right time, at the right place. Because I used to watch some of my mentors do it. And I'm like, how in the hell are you doing that? And it was, it's, it's that moment of pause that we naturally don't have in us to do. Right. And then when we master that, it's like, oh, I got this now. And it's like this like awesome key. How are you experiencing that with your clients? What, what are some of the ways that they've, you've seen a shift in them? Well, first of all, that is fantastic. What you're saying, I, I love, because you're bringing it back to character. Mm -hmm. Listen, I want to be a person who has integrity. This is how I can act this out. And that, that's really lovely what you're Thank doing. You. Oh, you. I mean, really freaking genius, right? I've there. had good mentors. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. So I, I take it, I do sometimes will take a character approach to this. Like, who do you want to be in this situation? Do you want to be people-centered or self-centered in this how do you want to do this? Right. Yes. Another way I can approach this is, you know, I, I, by the way, in a different lifetime, I was a professor of educational psychology cool. and I have a strong bias toward um, kind of a constructivist building people's understanding. And so I'm a cognitive constructivist at heart, which means I want you to know where you are in your thinking process so that you can stop and go, oh, hold up. I'm doing divergent. Everyone else in this room is doing convergent. And I'm out of step. Bingo. Not because I'm a bad person. Not because I suck. Just because I'm not lining up. Now, sometimes, and, I, and I'm sure your clients do this too. Um, I work with entrepreneurs. Um, I also work with a lot of really smart people who have these great ideas that, and they want to hear it. But they're also known in their environments as people who push against the culture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, the leadership literature will say there is a time and place, right, to push against that culture. And what I'm trying to teach ADHD leaders to do is, is this the time and place to push against the culture? Just don't push against it all the time. Yes. Be the spark plug when you need to be. And so I, I trace it back to the convergent versus divergent thinking because we want to be in step. So I teach my clients to test the room and to say, you know, is there still time for a couple new ideas about this? And, you know, sometimes you have these really strong linear people going, no, get back to your corner. And that's fine. They tested the room. Sometimes if they really feel like, oh, we're missing something here and I need to bring this up, I teach them to say, I, I need to, a quick pause. Here's an observation. 
that I, I have. So I am teaching my clients to pause down, pause and to shift down first, knowing the cognitive, where they are in their cognitive framework, but then to kind of test the room and use these phrases. Yes. The language so important. Yeah. I, I, I give my clients a lot of sound bites, you know, Love it. here's something you could say, or, you know, I'm not sure if we've covered this base, can someone help me feel better about that? Oh, I love those. And I think the language, what you just honed in on was so important because sometimes in that emotional dysregulation and all the things are boiling up, you know, your amygdala is hijacked. You're completely stressed out. So you actually don't have the right words to, to put together. Right. So it's great when you stick to certain scripts and certain phrases. It's like your get out of jail card that, that you're creating for them, which is so awesome. Well, and I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just, um, it's interesting though. If I have time to think if I'm in cognitive, if I'm in convergent or divergent thinking mode and where the group is, I'm not in a amygdala hijack. So mm -hmm. I'm already taking myself off that That's right. ledge and I'm already starting to see group dynamics better and differently. So, and so that's why the cognitive behavioralist in me says, let's, let's just notice where we are, where other people are and, and, and see if this is lining up. I love it. Thank you for that. That was so good. In this same section, because like this was like my, one of my favorites. <laughs> there are other favorites in the book. You talk about the dancing through the minefield of the rabbit holes, if you will. And one of the ones that I picked out was... Oh, that's the good one. People pay attention because y'all call me about this and you're like, I want to live to my potential. <laughs> oh, God. For yeah. the longest time, that was my phrase. And it was this like the unknown of like, what is my potential? And I think this this little section in the book, I was like, oh, you, you are freeing many people from this because I really feel like you put it on the shackles when you say I want to live to my potential. Yeah. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. So tell me about why that came up. First of all, thank you for understanding that. You know, there, there are some people who are like, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. But if you have been encumbered by that language. So it starts from when we're little kids. Oh, I see her. Yeah. Kathy has so much potential. She's yeah. free to do great things. Well, then your little ADHD brain is like, great things. Oh, should I, should I be like an astronaut by the time I'm 11? Is that what that means? And we have these really weird, unrealistic expectations of our life. Then. And it's because we're very creative and we can think of all these wonderful options to live out our potential. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone said to me, you know, are, are you really happy now that you published a book and relieved? I'm like, yeah, I still don't think I'm living up to my potential. Right. I mean, and it's weird that I'm confessing this and I kind of wish I wouldn't confess this publicly. Well, I could edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's a problem. It's a problem, right? Because I never think I've arrived. I've never think, and that's what I see with my clients with their potential problem. Um, they're constantly thinking, how can I live up to my potential? How can I develop into someone? that my, my ideal self and how quickly can I do it? That's the other part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And the thing is, though, but is there an ideal self? Like, because I think for us, every time we hit it, it's like, okay, and I'm reinventing myself again. And I'm reinventing myself again. I want to be like, I for the longest time, I had Madonna as my thing. And I was like, every time she reinvented herself and did a different hairdo, I followed suit. I would shave off my head. I would do the same. That reinvention, I think, is permission to reinvent as much as you want because of our divergent thinking, right? Well, see, potential actually has a limiting feeling to us. Carol mm-hmm. uh, Dweck kind of touched on this a little bit in her fixed versus flexible mindset yes. research. Uh, potential is a fixed word. If you really think about it, there's an endpoint where the train stops and that's called potential bill. And in potential bill that we reach it, it's a magical place. That's not how life is at all. And so when we have this growth mindset, we know that our potential is always changing and evolving. And I might not do that thing. I'm going to do this thing instead. So I really coach my clients to have patience and grace with themselves. I want them to be kind and to kind of take care of that person that that they're kind of putting on that train. You know what I mean? It's yeah. the train is, it, it doesn't have to stop. You know, I say, I'm in my fifties. I'm a, people are like, so are you going to retire? I'm like, yeah, if there's a tragic event in my life that forces me to, otherwise I'm going to just keep doing stuff. It, who knows what I'm going to do, but it, it will be fun and it will be part of my potential problem. So good. It reminds me of this, and in, in there was a performance review that I received back in corporate days, and, it, and one of the, the statement was, Kathy continues to change roles and is a jack of all trades and a generalist, and she really needs to hone in on one role and stick with it. And at the time, and I didn't know about my ADHD, I was like, oh, no, oh, this is not good that I keep asking and putting my hand up for different roles. But... At the time, it really affected me, but then I went against it because that's just how I am and look where I am now. But, you know, a lot of times, some of my clients that come to me, they're like, I keep changing roles every few months or a few years. And it's, you know, I will really want to figure it out. What do you say to those people, Doc? You know what? I really just ask them to go with their natural flow. My clients want to find that, that promised land of a job. and I'm always telling them, you know what? It's not out there because you keep growing and changing. And one of the great things about ADHD, which is also our curse, is that we keep wanting to find something novel and interesting. Yes. And so for you, in your job, you're getting feedback that that wasn't a good thing. And you know what that really tells me? The environment and you didn't match up. Totally. That's why I left. (laughs) Yep. Because if the environment had matched up to you, they'd be saying, Kathy, we love you. You know what we love? You are enterprising. You are up for any challenge and you will teach yourself anything. Yes. Amen. Yeah. I so did. That, that was an environment problem. And that wasn't a Kathy problem. But sometimes we think things are our problem. Let's face it, as ADHD people, especially females, we get a lot of feedback that we're just not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so it's why we take it, we take feedback like that so personally. So yeah. I, I want my clients to really understand 
that they're always going to be reinventing themselves. So good. Yeah. I love it. It's like fashion. It changes all the time. You got to do it. You got to do it. So let's go to this section around motivation. So, so we covered a, a bit of emotion. We covered a bit of this beautiful brain of ours and how it works. In this chapter, you talk about, you brought up William Dotson and, and his idea around motivation, interest-based or emotional hyper-arousal. Can you tell us about these two? Why, why, why you thought this was a good, and I see why it was. So, so, so just to bring it to life for, for our listeners around motivation and these two things, interest and emotional hyperarousal. Yeah. So I like how Bill Dotson approaches this. He talks about, you know, we have an interest-based nervous system. And I think I love how he talks about it because I think, Kathy, I think we're right at the beginning of talking about how sensitive our nervous systems are. Mm -hmm. And I, I think in about five years, we're going to be hearing about the nervous systems of ADHD people and actually that we don't regulate our nervous system well. Mm. And I actually, um, sorry, this is a rabbit hole, but I want to, I actually work with my clients to calm down their nervous system because what happens is we have a very twitchy nervous system that pays attention to too much all the time and it, it gets overwhelmed. It's almost like kind of shutting down your phone and rebooting it because it just picks up all these extra cookies or I don't know what it does, but I have to reboot my phone every once in a while. It's sort of what it feels like we have to do with our nervous system. And so I've been finding ways to work with my clients to hear when their nervous system is overwhelmed and how to start to release those things. Okay. So I think in five years, it's going to be a big, big stick and deal. Yeah, I like that. And, and so when, we, when you talk about emotion and the intensity of emotion that people feel with ADHD in relation to motivation, can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I sometimes really do think it's, it's like, did I regulate my emotions? How emotional am I right now about this task? What's going on? Is my battery full? What's happening? What are your so, thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah we, we have to accept that unlike our neurotypical counterparts, we have a, an emotional-based motivation. Emotional-based motivation. So that means... In my mind, I have everything plus or minuses. I see everything in my life with just a series of, I like that, hate that, like that, hate that. Yeah. And I'm naturally going to want to go toward the things that I like because they make me feel good. And so I'm motivated to do the pluses. But what happens when I have to do the negatives? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Because everything in my life has some kind of an emotional component. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, right now I happen to be sitting on a chair that I really love I love the curve of the wood on the back I, I love it I have emotional feelings about the chair I'm sitting in yeah which means I also have emotional feelings about the paint you know I haven't painted down here yet we moved into this house a year ago and I have emotional feelings about this wall color right mm -hmm. and I'm trying not to look behind me right now we're talking on zoom and I'm trying not to look behind me. I'm like, that's a horrendous color. I hate it. Mm. If I'm not careful, my thoughts will drift toward, well, Tamara, what color are you going to paint that wall? Do you see how my motivation to even think about things is based on emotion? Yeah. And strong emotion. 
Um, was that clear enough? Did that make Yeah, sense? because a lot of times it's to check in on on these things, right? And I like how in the book you have like di different ones that, you know, check in on w what's going on emotionally, interest-wise. I highlighted this section around the energy drains, you know, and, and in, in the ADD Academy, one of the things they taught us was the, the drainers and drivers of ADHD. And I love that, that module in our course, um, you know, and, and it's, what are the things that are energy drainers? And one thing, and I've talked about this on the podcast too, is for me, I audit my days and see like today I have you and I have a coaching client and answering some emails and that's it. It's intentional that it's a light day because it takes a lot of cognitive resources out of me to do this with you and also to coach a client. That's my capacity. And I've come to realize that's where Kathy's energy bucket is. So in your case, the way this, this is the one I highlighted because I deal with this a lot on a daily, weekly basis. And I'm going to read this. Fatigue is one of the most common complaints that I hear from my clients when they talk about symptoms associated with ADHD. And usually they're referencing to emotional fatigue. Oh, good one. Well, Kathy, we're always behind. Mm. I mean, now you're a pro, but for the, the rest of, you know, your listeners who haven't really managed like their energy capacity, they're always waking up behind. Yeah. And there's more to do than can ever be done. That's a quote from Lion King, but, but still it holds, right? Mm -hmm. We can't do it all. And yet our ADHD divergent brains can imagine a world where we do it all. And so we try to do it all. And we're just exhausted being us. At the end of the day, we're like, I just, I hate being me. I'm tired. And so you are a great example because you've actually said, Hey, I have enough emotional energy for this. This is what I will do. And that that's fantastic. And that's where I try to help my clients get true confessions though. I don't always do it well. And same, same. I have my days where it just crash and burn. Like it doesn't matter medication. It doesn't matter to supplement. It doesn't matter. Nothing. It's like a, it's depleted to a point of minus 5%. If my battery can go the opposite, it, it does that. Yeah. Well, in that, that's where we have to be really careful because then we're getting in the, I don't give a shit mode mm. and that's dangerous for us. Yes. Right. So kind of understanding that everything is emotional for us and it either gives or takes emotion. Things are rarely neutral for us. You know, I, I was so delighted to be on this podcast because I had, you know, listened to your podcast and like, oh, I'm going to love her. This will give me more, more energy than it will take today. Thank you. Back at you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's exactly. And, and it's to schedule the things that drive you so that you know, so you can stack it with the things that drive you for sure. So on that note, the solve it grid that you have created in this, can we talk about this? What, what are the, can we do like a mini lesson on it? Like, a, can we do it in like five minutes or seven minutes of what it looks like? I think so. Okay. Yeah, like, no, I'm going to ask your listeners to use their imagination or to grab a pen and pencil. Okay. So think of the hor uh, horizontal line and the left-hand side is not fun. And the right-hand side is fun. And when I draw this in my office, I say, 
I, you know, I put a little mark in the middle. I'm like, guess which, guess which side do you want to be on? And the ADHD people are like, duh, don't, don't talk to me about this. I know fun. Now the neurotypical spouse or parent in the room says, well, I like fun too. I'm like, but there's a difference. We're fun seekers. Mm-hmm. And our brain automatically, and fun, by the way, means interested, shiny, it, anything could mean fun to us, right? And then I dissect the line with a vertical line. And the vertical line, so now we've made a four compartment grid, mm-hmm. right? And the top of that line is high emotional stimulus. Mm-hmm. And the bottom of that line is low emotional stimulus. And that is like the volume control on our emotions. And so when we have ADHD, we have to be aware of how, how, what's the emotional volume control here? What is it doing? So how am I doing so far? Are you making Yeah, Yeah, emotional volume control. Love it. Yeah. So in the upper left-hand quadrant, there's the red quadrant, and that's a combination of not fun and high emotional stimulus. So these are the, all of the, oh crap moments throughout your day. Oh crap, I'm leaving the house right five minutes late. Oh crap, I'm doing this. All the times we don't exercise really good emotional control, we're usually in a red quadrant. Yeah. Right beneath that quadrant is yellow. And that's made up of not fun and low emotional stimulus. That's where, you know, all those boring convergent tasks, those, that's where they are. And that's super boring for us. When I draw this grid. Making a doctor's appointment. Oh, my heavens. I have to make an eye doctor's appointment after this. Thank you. It, it is on my list, but I, I have no, I, I, don't, I have no impetus to do this. I see. Yeah. Fine. Thank you. You know. <laughs> yeah. I have to do blood work. That's why it's coming up for me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or even taking the time to do a dental cleaning. Like mm. this week I have to get my teeth cleaned. I get it. Oral, proper oral hygiene's important. I get it. I just don't want to have to show up and keep my mouth open for that long. Yes. Like a waste of time. Yep. Can't they do this virtually somehow? (laughs) So that's the yellow quadrant stuff. I dread it really kind of more than I should have because that I should, because it's not fun and it's just really not interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Right. By the way, I hacked the dental cleaning part by listening to a podcast. So right beforehand, I, I'm like, well, what podcast do I want to listen to? And then at least I'm doing something interesting while having and not listening to the scraping sound. Great. So um, on the other side of the grid, we have low emotional stimulus. This is the lower uh, right-hand corner. And I call that quadrant blue. And it's made up of low emotional stimulus, but fun. And people don't understand that ADHD people love this side of the grid. The blue is when we downshift. It's when we watch YouTube. It's when we'll go, yeah, I'll just watch the next show. You know, it's it's Facebook. It's Instagram. It's all those things. They're not woohoo fun, but they're just kind of low-key fun. Yeah. And ADHD brains love that place. In fact... Some of us kind of wish we were there more times. Yeah, I, I literally, sorry to pause for a second because it's so topic. We just had a conversation on this on Clubhouse, this app that everybody knows that I'm on, where we're talking about information consumption and when is enough is enough, which is oh. the blue quadrant because it's yep. like, it's, but it's so like, good. 
It's, and it's like, yeah, it's divergent thinking, mm-hmm. right? I, and you're it, at the control of it because you can click the channel as much as you want. It, it is. I, yeah. I mean, it, it's really so that brings up what I was going to say about the blue quadrant. It's like the molasses swamp. Mm. So you could get stuck in this quadrant very easily. And because it feels good enough, we just want to stay there. Yeah. I see a lot. I work with teens and I see a lot of teens getting stuck there. I see a lot of grownups going to work, grown-upping in their yellow quadrant, doing all those little boring things, coming home and going, I, I have no energy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. And I'm down shifting to blue. Yeah. And then they don't get, you know, like laundry and food, mm-hmm. you know. Other things that they need to still do. True story. Yep. So um, above the blue quadrant is the green. Now we're at the top right-hand corner, and that's high emotional stimulation plus fun. And here's what I found. A lot of ADHD people, they don't realize they're not really getting enough green quadrant. (laughs) Now, you and I are fortunate because we have jobs that take us to the green quadrant. I. I can tell you love coaching, you love your clients, and you find it meaningful. Now, not all my clients are green, but it is kind of a magical place. Totally. But we have to find out for every person has to figure out how are we getting to the green quadrant. Green quadrant activities do take energy to get to, but there's something very fulfilling that comes from them. So a green quadrant activity for me, last, I have adult children. Last weekend, we have this tradition where they come over and decorate our house. And it's just chaotic. We had a gingerbread house competition. My kids talk trash over gingerbread houses. The whole thing gets, you know, really competitive. Yeah, we had two stories, like modern houses. it, It was really amazing. That weekend gave me so much joy. It was green. Because it it does something different for my heart. Mm-hmm. Whereas the red quadrant is high emotion, but that takes away, that kind of drains me. Although I may be tired after last weekend because yes, I stayed up too late talking to two of my kids, and but my heart is happy from it. So I need a different kind of uh, rest from it. I'm not depleted. Yeah. I just need physical rest. Yeah, recover. Yeah. Why do you think we're not there that much? I mean, it sounds so logical. Yeah, it does sound logical, doesn't it? So when I was first presenting this, so, you know, I tried this out on different audiences to see how this would go. One of my very first times presenting the the solvent grid, it was to a small group of about 40 people. And I had a blurter in the audience and she just blurted out, wait, I'm allowed to do great things? Wow. And so... You know, her notion of being a grown-up meant she just had to do yellow things. Mm-hmm. And she was cheating if she did anything blue. And certainly she wasn't allowed green. And so there's something about, we do, we do weird things with the green quadrant. Either I work with clients who think they should only be in green. Yeah. Fire life should be green. Yeah. Or I work with these diligent, hard workers going, I, I don't have time for green. Yeah. Yeah. It's. So green, I'm hearing like it's living in your values, right? As, as coachy as that sounds, but it is really, what are the things that light you up? So how do you, yes. how do you, how do we apply this on a day-to-day basis? Like, what does it look like in application? When do we go there and say, I need to check out 
the solvent grade. Yeah. So again, cognitive behavioral approach. If you know where you are on the grid, then you adjust your expectations. And so if I'm too much in red, like I'm like, wow, I've been spending two days in red. There's a reason why I'm bone tired. Yeah. Then I need to ask myself, did I have to go to red? Or was that because of poor planning, emo- you know, lack of emotional regulation and so on? So is there a problem that I did red? No, these were true emergencies or, you know, sometimes I'll do, I don't know if you've ever done this, but weird things around yellow. Like I never quite get to those yellow stupid tasks on my list. It keeps popping down on my list, mm-hmm. transferred to a different list. And mm-hmm. and then I'm like, seriously, you know, this yellow task is turning orange now and it's going to turn red soon. So Tamara, get your crap together. Just do it while it's still in yellow. That's because I know where I am. I'm accept and I can say, Tamara, don't don't expect this yellow thing to be green. Mm-hmm. It's going to take 20 minutes, do it, and get it over with. I love it. It takes self-awareness to a practical. Yeah. To a tangible, like to actual, like a doing, right? Like it's one thing to say, I'm so self-aware, but then here's what you do with it. You move it around the grid. I love that. I love this conversation. We could continue forever. I feel like, like, I'm like, I just found you and keep talking. I know you're great. Yeah. Thank you. Back at you. So before we wrap up, is there a question that you would have wanted me to ask that I didn't cover? What would you like to share with our audiences as they're listening and and about the book, whichever way you want to go? I, you know, I really did write the book kind of as a letter to the clients I don't know, to like, here's what I wish you knew about ADHD. And really my heart's deepest, darkest heart's desire is I don't want people to take as long as I did to figure out that I'm not as broken as I thought I was. I spent my 20s and 30s just kind of, okay, yeah, in half my 40s. It's just kind of like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? And so I wrote the whole book kind of hoping people could figure it out faster than I did. Oh, good. And you did such a bang up job with it. The sections, the way you compartmentalized it. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's that had I known things would have been different, but it's never too late. It's not, and you don't have to live in the past and the sorrow of it. You know, clients come and say, well, if I was diagnosed earlier. If I was diagnosed in my 20s, I'm like, well, if you're in your 50s or whatever now, in your 20s probably wasn't enough resources. So you would have been like effed. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a good time to be diagnosed, I think. Well, yeah. And I do work with a lot of people who have those regrets. And, and I, I guess I just want people to know, I mean, really, we're not broken. We're different. And we have to accept those differences. And this is what your whole podcast is about. We have to accept those differences and learn how to move on with those differences. That's it. Yeah. So good. I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. This is, I, I, I want to have you back for whatever other topic you want to talk oh, about. Yeah. So you let me know and we'll riff on something Anytime. else. Yeah. I Anytime. I just thank you. love, I mean, you're just so smart. And, thank you. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. 
All right, folks, here's another expert again, and you heard it from her and her book called Your Brain's Not Broken. I will link to it in show notes. And until next time, you make sure that you keep on shining.